poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is professional poker player, YouTuber, and future New York Times bestselling author, the multi-dimensional Christy Arnett. Christy's first appearance on Chasing Poker Greatness was packed so full of greatness bombs, you almost had to listen to it twice so I had very high hopes for this round too. And of course, Christy managed to knock it out of the park. In today's show, she's going to go deep on all the things she's been up to since the last time we talked. With that said, a little backstory. In Christy's world, poker's a family affair. Her first step into the world of poker began many years ago when her boyfriend, now husband, Andrew Moreno, who's now a high-stakes live cash game crusher himself, took her to check out a home game. She went in as one person, stepped out as another, and poker has been a huge part of her and her family's life ever since. From packing up her bags and moving to Vegas to being the face at Card Player Magazine, to calling her own number and going pro, Christy's adventures in the world of cards is both aspirational and inspirational. The poker world is just a much better place for having her in it. In today's round two conversation with Christy, you're going to learn how she struggled with an inherent aversion to taking risks and how she navigates her fears, why working hard at your craft day in and day out is all you can control, Christy's incredibly powerful and amazing technique for setting intentions, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you my conversation with the thoughtful crusher of Booker Souls, the one and only Christy Arnett. Christy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing this morning? Thanks so much, Brad. I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. We're pretending that we're doing this for the first time because we had some (laughs) technical difficulties a few minutes ago. It's, again, very, very early for both of us. And Christy, especially, it's 7 a.m. for her. I don't know. you, You normally wake up pretty early, right? That's what you said? Yes, I'm not your prototypical poker player who sleeps in till noon. And also that's the plus about doing a podcast interview with someone who's done media before. I get it. Things happen and I am an early riser and we've got some caffeine here. So I'm excited. I got my caffeine too and it'll it'll kick in in 10 or 15 minutes or so. So I wanted to catch up from the last year or so. You know, we talked before about you writing a book and being a New York Times bestselling author. Has the book progressed? What's the update on that project? The book has progressed, and I have recently begun sending the book proposal to agents. And the way it works is you find an agent who believes in you in the book, who takes you on, and then they sell the book to a publisher. Then that's how you get traditionally published. That's how you see the books in Barnes and Nobles. And it's interesting because along the way, I have had to learn how to write about 
poker and infuse some of the lessons, some of the scenes that I or my husband have been through to a mainstream audience. And there will be so many times where people will be like, uh, uh, I don't know what pitching cards means. And I'll have to remember, like, I need to say deal the cards. And it's been so great to, in a way, relay so much of what I've learned about poker to a wider audience in a way that they can understand, because it also helps me clarify what life lessons poker has gotten to teach me. So that's where I am. I've been writing every day. And actually before this call or the recording, we were chatting about how do we pursue other dreams while we have an hour, a poker hourly rate just staring us in the face, just saying like, you know, if you would just go play poker, you can make $7,500 an hour or whatever it is. And instead, how about I just work on something that makes very little, or in my case, zero money. I mean, right now. Uh, But the idea is that you're grinding EV. And that's what I'm doing. I'm grinding EV both for the future and for a career that I'm also excited to pursue. Yeah, it's, it's a tough grind, especially in the beginning. And I think that maybe that's Maybe it's there for a reason, right? Like maybe that's the barrier to entry that most people give up after a year or so of struggling and working 60 hours a week and just, you know, not earning very much money at all. Most people just quit. But I think that like, you know, I've said it many times and I've, I've, and certainly fall under this category that we, we always overestimate how much we can get done in a year, but underestimate how much we can get done in 10 and, you know, CPG has been around for 18 months. And like every day I'm asked, like, how do I grow? How do I get better, bigger? How do I reach a, a bigger audience? How do I make courses? How do I help people? How do I impact their poker careers? Uh, more and more people. And the reality is like, it just takes time. You know, uh, you just have to keep doing the work on a daily basis. Eventually, if you work hard enough and you're resonating with people, it works out. And yeah, it's... Uh, I really love what you said there about taking the lessons that you've learned from poker and even sort of unpacking the lessons that you've learned, because that's something that I've realized I've had to do as a coach and a poker player is reflect and meditate on what it is I know and what it is I think I know and why do I know it and where did these lessons come from? And that journey is really fun for me because I really, I learned, I've learned so much about myself through the process. Uh, And I guess I'll throw it back to you and have, what have you learned about yourself in this process of reflection and meditation? One of the things I learned that is actually in some ways confronting, and I, I guess I'm shy to say, especially to a poker audience, but hopefully it will resonate with a portion of you. But I realized that I... I am not inherently like a risk taker. I, growing up, always played it safe. I grew up with a mom who was very practical. Why pursue a path that requires difficulty when you could be successful being a realtor or something like that? You know, everything was overpriced if it wasn't on sale. 
never waste money, eat everything on your plate. And for the love of God, do not gamble. And what I realized was that poker, I was attracted to in so many ways because I saw that you could get lucky, but over time, you could overcome luck. And that there was this risk factor that I was drawn to because it wasn't something that I really did. And it's sort of not intuitive when you you like look at a person like me, like I'm very ambitious and I go after a lot of things. But I, I realized that I only went after things I knew I could be successful at. I would, you know, I wouldn't pursue hobbies that I sucked, even if I loved them, because I hated pe- having people see me struggle. And in poker, what's so great is that because you're making decisions on imperfect information, it's like built into the equation that you will make mistakes or you will, quote unquote, choose wrong. Because without all the information, you just can't know the answers. And I think that that taught me something so important about life, that I was always waiting to be sure, waiting to be sure before I asked someone to go have lunch with me, to be my friend or something, or waiting to be sure before I pursued some risk or, or something like that. And the truth is, most things in life, you can't be sure, especially love especially in forgiveness. And so even in poker, I I didn't take a whole lot of risks in my career. There were so many times where poker pros would be like, hey, you know, if you just want to like run some hands by me, I'm open. Like, you know, Jason Kuhn was one of those people way back in the day before he started playing high rollers. He was so generous. And I'd be like, oh my God, that'd be so awesome. And then when I sat down at my desk and had a couple hands that I played at like two, five Aria or something, I would get scared and not take that risk because I was more worried about what I look like than actually becoming a better player. And, um, and, and so that's just something that I've really been reflecting on in my career and seeing the ways in which I was just really scared. Yeah. And that's, in my opinion, very, very common. You know, we stay in our comfort zones. And Jason is an extremely generous guy. I, you know, he, he came on the show. We've talked a lot on Twitter. Um, he's just a very generous human being and a great guy. Like, I, I think he's built to want to help, right? And that's sort of where the fear of sort of bugging, you know, fear of like, quote unquote, bugging somebody about a 2-5 no limit hand when they're playing like, the highest games known to man is like, I don't want to bug this person, but the reality is he wants to help, right? Like that's his blessing to help. And, and so I, I think that it's just, that's the human, how we're constructed, how we're wired. It, it's hard being vulnerable. And I certainly am. Oh man. I, I have, I, I wish that I would have taken more risks in my poker career as well. I think that's one of my, biggest regrets is not pushing myself especially early on and being like let's go let's see what we can do like let's see how much money we can make let's see how big we can play because i 
believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that I left millions and millions of dollars on the table by not doing so. Because again, like I, I'm, I can't come from that same kind of upbringing of it, it almost feels greedy to want to make 50 K in a day, right? Like it, it almost feels there's like a little bit of shame connected to it of like just winning massive amounts of money or losing massive amounts of money. When like my grandparents worked 16 hours a day for $50,000 a year, and then I'm losing $50,000 a year in 24 hours. Um, it, it's really a, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's an odd thing that poker players have to deal with and you know when you're young and immature and just trying to figure this stuff out on your own you really don't stand much of a chance because you don't know how to navigate your own brain at all or even how it's influencing you or what is happening in the moment but uh, for you christy when you, you realize these things about yourself what was the call to action like what was your you know i know that you're you're big on vision and Another question that I had prepared was, you know, have you updated your vision over the past year? So we'll just we'll just start there. Well, my call to action, I think, happened and continues to happen. But let me go back to the book and I'll bring it full circle sure. and answer that second part of your question. But so for those who haven't listened to the first podcast, I don't remember how much we talked about the book actually, but it is a memoir about risk and love. It's called The Biggest Risk, you know, uh, a memoir about love, poker, and taking chances. And my husband and I have been both professional poker players. I've been in the poker industry before that for like almost a decade. And so at about like a decade into our relationship, we reached a breaking point. We were about to get a divorce. We were angry at each other and held resentment and we weren't going anywhere, but we knew we wanted to try to save the marriage. So we leaned on everything that we had learned about risk through poker to rebuild a marriage. Because what I truly believe is that the highest staked game in the world is love. And even now we're talking about the vulnerability. We're talking about like chasing poker greatness. Like what is that really, what does that mean applied? And I think that to really be your greatest expression of who you are as a poker player, both in how you play and how you live your life, because what is success if you have nobody to share it with, is this idea of growing yourself into that person who can be great in both areas. And what my husband and I found in the mess of our relationship failing. And also at the time, both of us were really struggling to build our, our, our like bankrolls. Like we were just like grinding to five and, and making like a living and getting by at the time, but we weren't taking leaps and bounds in our poker career or anything. And part of it was our unwillingness to take risks Good is often the enemy of great. And good is also something that contributes to failure because when you stay stagnant, you're actually falling behind because life moves on, people get better, uh, people grow or grow apart. And so what, what I had no idea was that 
working on myself as a person was going to help my poker game. Not just because I could like know odds better, but because I became the kind of person and he became the kind of person who was more committed, who, who knew why he was scared to fail. Well, for my husband, for example, he was the biggest two five crusher. Everybody knew him as like the guy who has the highest hourly rate in the Aria poker room. And everyone at the two five tables, like they wanted to move when he sat down and he liked that. And he knew he felt good in that area. And so like moving up to five ten was scary because then you might find out you're not the like, you know, big fish in this pond. And when he realized that, that's when he could face that fear and move on. And for me, it was, I was always worried about looking good instead of being good. And that, and what I found was that it came from my mom and how I grew up and how, you know, I, I, I used to like, I would like learn to like cheat in school because I was terrified of getting a B instead of just like asking for help. Or just understanding that chemistry wasn't my thing or something like that. I just needed my mother to think of me in a certain way. And I was recently having this conversation with Ben CB. Uh, He was, um, well, first of all, I just think that he's such a cool person, like just like you committed to being a a better person and um, using all these things. But he said that, he would often share stuff like this, like something that you shared also. He would share something about his life that he realized really hindered him in his poker game. And then when he would share that, he said that people would act so so surprised, like, oh my God, that's like mind blowing. I can't believe you said that. And maybe you get that kind of feedback too. I know I do. And I'm just like, and we're both like, why is it so mind blowing? You know, it shouldn't be so mind blowing to have an understanding of who you are and how you came to be because it will help your poker game. And so um, I'm continuously working on self-awareness and how it applies. And, and, and then your last question or that last part was where is poker in my vision? And it remains, it's actually becoming even a smaller part um, because we're starting a family. Actually, today I'm getting a puppy, but and I am putting you know the book proposal into the hands of agents, and so I really want that to to be successful. So I'm working a lot on that. But Cougar will always be one of the loves, the great loves of my life. And what I have also realized is that when poker becomes a smaller portion of your life, less time to dedicate to it. What I've had to do is reorganize my expectations because when I go play, if I'm rusty or if I feel like I'm falling behind or I see someone who used to be not as good as me and now they're like crushing or something and I feel a way about it, I have to get real with my expectations and remember like, I don't deserve to be crushing the guy who's now crushing me or crushing in the higher stakes because he has dedicated 
the last you know two years of his life working every day on it while I have been working part-time on it so that's where poker's readjusting for me and I think it's important especially for players who are um amateurs or semi-pros to really be honest about their expectations so they don't waste energy getting down on themselves for where they are and being positive and realistic and also if you you know if you want to like be on a different level just recognize that it requires like more time and dedication and that you that you don't necessarily like deserve to crush as much as those who are dedicating their night and day to learning and playing poker yeah i mean that's the there are folks out there who dedicate their entire lives to being the best poker players that they can be and if you just kind of show up and you think like oh i'm just going to crush everybody because i'm studied in areas a b and c it's not the reality of the situation you know it's just that's not going to happen anybody that devotes their lives to something is just going to be better at it than people who don't have as much bandwidth and you mentioned something there about struggles and vulnerability and you know something that often gets overlooked in my opinion is that whenever somebody's an expert on something right they're an expert because they've struggled in that area right like i love learning about the mental game i love learning about self sabotage like that's a thing that i just love researching finding out more learning about because I have self-sabotaged because I have had these struggles, Um, you know, in the same way that I'm an expert on sleep. Well, because I've had problems going to sleep at night. Like if I could just hit the pillow and go to sleep, why would I be an expert on it? Right. I would, it's a, being an expert is the result of a previous pain point that you've targeted specifically to overcome. And so it shouldn't be surprising when the folks who are experts in their fields have struggled in that specific field, right? Totally. And I'm so grateful for all the things I've struggled in because, I mean, you know, that was what I'm writing about in the book was the lowest point of my life. It was the hardest thing I'd ever been through by far. And what came out of that was the best marriage I could have ever asked for. And also in working on our marriage and learning about ourselves, we both, our, our our careers and the money that we made skyrocketed in the next three years. Andrew was making like, you know, he made like three six-figure scores in, in the next three years and started playing, you know, high stakes, like 25-50. And, um, and I, the same, I was playing, you know, 5-10, sometimes 10-20 and making, you know, some tournament scores. I made like a WSOPC final table and uh, final table in Australia, mil- uh, the Aussie millions. And it just is like, when we have those struggles, and this is this, this is what poker is so good at teaching, because you can, you can even see it when you're sitting in a live session. I know it's been a while since some people have played live poker. But it's so fascinating to watch from the outside. It's more fun when you're watching it from the outside rather than it experiencing it. But still, you get to learn all the things when you get to experience it. But you can see the highs and lows of a person in one session. You can see how they let it go to their head when they get some chips. All of a sudden, they're talking. They're like talking crap to other people. They think they're so good. And then they get stacked. And then they hate life and they're slumped in their chairs. And 
you see you see the un- instability in how they equate a short-term win or loss with who they think they are and and it's the ones who who can weather the storms but also understand that that wins also don't define you um but really i think character is built in in the lows um and so the next time that you're in a session and it's just going horribly, maybe you've made a few mistakes or maybe you've run really bad or both and you're stuck, recognize that like this is such an opportunity to be the person you want to be, to take deep breaths, to face some of the fears that you have because what will happen is you'll have like, these voices in your head, like, oh, that guy's a piece of shit, or I I suck, I'm the worst ever, how could I, or whatever. And that's the only time where you can really take on those voices. And and I'm so curious, because I know you've done so much work too, but to, to know, like, what do your voices sound like? And how have you really learned to, in those moments, because obviously it's harder in the moments than it is outside the table, but to regain composure and control. I, so early on, you know, this is a, it's a journey, right? Like when I say early on, I mean, my first five to 10 years of being a poker player, it's hard. And not just in the way that like you get stacked. I don't think I've ever been concerned about getting stacked because that's just a thing that happens to me all the time. Like I just, I get stacked very, very often. Um, And then I stack other people. And the thing that really got to me for many, many years was when I made a subpar decision or I didn't see something that I felt I should have seen. I didn't execute based on something that I studied. Those moments were sort of confident shattering moments of, and it was, my internal dialogue is just beratement, right? Like that's what it was. It was, why did you do that? That was stupid. You know better than that. Why did you pay that bet off? Why didn't you value bet larger? I mean, and you know, that's sort of the thing is for the professional poker player, right? Like as you start getting better and better, you start seeing things very granularly and you're like, you bet two thirds pot on the river instead of 90%, right? And villain calls with the hands that you expected him to call with. And you're like, Hmm, I left whatever $200 on the table there. And so even in a winning session where you win 5k, my, my mind is thinking, yeah, but it should have been 5,800. Like you just left 800 on the table because you played like shit and you didn't play perfectly the entire time. And that to me has been like, that was my struggle. And I think that just eventually eventually I just had to tell myself to let it go that it was doing more harm than good. And ultimately like rumination about stuff like that, I can't change it. And it was an acceptance like Brad, like you're never going to play a perfect session. You're never going to make every, all the right decisions for an entire session. It's never going to happen. And so like that expectation is way too high. And basically it, it just kind of went from this, sort of high emotion talk with myself to more of curiosity of 
did I make the right play here? Did I make a mistake? Um, and just kind of letting it go, you know, again, for the first five or six, seven, eight years of my career, I could tell you every single hand that I played, like any memorable hand, I could tell you what the people look like, how many chips they had, all of the action. It was just frozen into my mind. Like I would replay those hands over and over and over and over again. And then at, at some point, again, not, another weird thing that happened was like, I just started forgetting the hands. <laughs> like I would just play them and then move on to the next hand. And then they're captured in my database so I could look them up later. But I've just realized that like losing that sort of attachment in the moment to those mistakes was really a major breakthrough for me. And something that I see my, my private student, my private coaching students struggle with is something happens. Like they play per classic example students plays perfect for 30 minutes and I'm watching his video and I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, we're just going to show up and I'm going to be like, well done. Like you just, <laughs> you just played perfectly for this whole hour long video that you sent me. And then all of a sudden he gets stacked in a weird spot. And then I start seeing it happen. Like folding in the small blind, making an inappropriate fold when everybody folds around. And it's like, that's a spot I know he knows. And then on other tables, like, the mistakes start coming as well. They're not big, they're minor, but there was a lot to talk about in the back half of the 30 minutes after that one hand went down. And yeah, I think that's that's a thing that people struggle with in a big way is attachment to these specific results, the ruminations, the, uh, the mental feedback loops where it just loops in their mind. And while that hand is looping in my student's mind, guess what? It's taking cognitive energy, it's taking processing power so his decision making goes down um so i, I think that yeah it, it's just been a very long journey for me and i guess at the live poker table like one of the tells that i have is like if i ever find myself snapping at someone then i need to go check myself and it, it's not even a big snapping it's like a, a very somewhat minor right like you make a bet on the river and like somebody it like folds their cards and they're like, I folded whatever, right? This is like one of the moments that is burned into my brain. Um, and I'm just like, I don't care what you folded, right? Like as soon as I said that, I went, whoa, <laughs> that's not a normal response. Like, and I, I just took a walk around the, the casino to try to see like what the hell is going on. Anyway, that's a very long winded answer. And I'll throw it back to you because I don't know a natural segue at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's so interesting. What I find so fascinating is that, so I love what you said, like, you know, a trigger for yourself that indicates to you, you are in a fight or flight situation in your body. Like you have stress in your body where like you can snap or, and because when you're composed, you wouldn't make that decision. You could like let it roll off your back. And I think that's something for everybody to learn in their game and become self-aware because part of win rate is literally being able to recognize that yourself, go cool yourself off, take a walk and a couple of deep breaths. The hardest thing in the world is when you're feeling that way to get up. I mean, it's like, I mean, there be times where Andrew could just like see the way I'm sitting at our poker table. And he's like, he'll walk over and he's like, come take a walk with me or something. And I'm like, no, I don't want to <laughs> like, that's the last thing I want to do. But 
but obviously over time in practice, I, I know that I can rip myself away because I need it, but only because I know the benefit uh, is so much better. And I'm actually making more money by walking away for a few moments. And I think it's, you know, for anybody who's not familiar with this, when your body is in fight or flight, your brain thinks you're in danger. So it starts looking, it's like becoming hypervigilant for things that may hurt you. And because the brain doesn't know the difference between physical and emotional pain, it will still look at a possible emotional pain trigger as a threat that you may want to avoid. People tend to have different strategies to deal with this trigger. Mine, for example, tends to be to avoid it, to like um, become passive. So when I am stressed or when I'm triggered, I like, I see spots and I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna like let that one go. Or I'm just gonna like, so I start folding more often instead of thinking logically about the hand. And other people will respond to quote unquote bullying by over aggression. Like nobody's gonna like push me around, you know, or whatever it is. So, so what you said is so profound, I think, is that when you get to know yourself, you can see in these tiny little ways what your emotional or mental state is and learn to practice to bring it back to a calm state. And um, something that I, I learned and I um, was going to put this, like, I, I just want to write all the books, but um, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the candlestick problem. Have you heard of the candlestick problem? Mm-hmm. And so basically- You'll have, you'll have to describe it to the listener like, though. <laughs> yeah. So basically what it is, is like uh, someone will give you a candle. Like just imagine like a, a candle, a candlestick. And then you see a little cardboard box. And then you see some text in there inside the box. And they ask you to pin- to secure the candle on the wall using just what they show you. Now, um, people tend to be able to solve this problem when they are given an unlimited amount of time. People tend not to be able to solve it or much less often solve it when they are given a time limit and there is some prize involved, whether it's like five bucks or something like that. And what what the answer to the problem is you have to like be creative and see it is that you dump the tax out of the cardboard box. You put the candle in the cardboard box and then you tack the box on the wall. But people who are panicking, they'll just be like, they'll just pick up the candle. They won't even see the box. They're just like try to tack the, the candle onto the wall and it doesn't work. And so the same thing is happening when you're playing poker. If you feel stressed it literally cuts off the creative part of your brain. Your brain's like, I don't need to be creative or logical. I just need to survive. So then it, it like gives tunnel vision and you can't see the way that this guy, you know, put in his chips or, or you can't remember that you saw him fold, you know, such a, such a good hand because he was scared or, or that this guy actually is incapable of value betting the river. You don't think those things. You just think what you're afraid of and then try to, quote unquote, protect yourself 
or whatever it is in your expression. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think this stuff is fascinating because it doesn't matter what you know, if you can't apply it in times of high, of high stress or where most players would consider high stress, but because you've learned to deal with it, you know, it's not high stress for you. Yeah. It's it, as they say, it's not enough to know how to play well. You actually have, you, you have to play well too, right? Like you have to execute um, beyond the theoretical. And, you know, I love what you're saying. It, it's whenever you get triggered, whenever you have an emotional response, whenever you're dealing with something at the poker table, like I try to look at it as a rep, right? It's an uncomfortable experience it is not fun sitting with those emotions like it does not feel good it is not easy it is very difficult and you know i i think that for the listener treat it as a rep this is a rep that is making me stronger this is a rep the more reps i have the better i'm able to recover in the future and you know i want to even take it up a few notches not just while you're playing poker it like in your session right like as a if we look at the session as a whole but your emotions are flaring and you're getting emotionally compromised in hands and these emotions are affecting your decision making in decisions that are likely very big decisions because that's when you you know your pulse starts racing you're at risk for your entire stack like it's poker's an emotional game and to say like just switch off your emotions while you play poker is such bullshit because we're human beings and incapable of doing such a thing. Like the way that, you know, I've said it on here before, but I'll say it again, like in a moment of grief, in a moment of panic, whatever it is, uh, something tragic happens. You can't just switch off the grief, right? You, you can never just switch off an unpleasant emotion because you don't want to feel it. That's not how human beings and human biology works. So you have to experience these things. And, you know, if you can't overcome your emotions while you're playing hands, you know, if you're great in theory, but shit in practice and execution, you're done. You got no hope in poker. And that's how important it is. Like, I just want to make it clear, like, these are the stakes. If you can't pass through this, if you can't learn how to deal with this and do a better job of navigating, you've got no hope playing poker. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And there is, I do want to share one particular practice that has helped me the most in life and poker. And it's something that I call a, a an intentional transition. So what you're saying is so true. Like we can't and shouldn't try to like smash our emotions because no matter what, they will come out later. <laughs> And often in damaging and sideways ways. So it's important to feel them, but but create impactful and empowering stories for yourself to be able to work through them. And one of the ways to get in front of that process is to do intentional transitions. And so before I play poker... And this is a habit that took me way long, way too long to implement regularly. But now, before I play poker, before I do anything important, I did it an intentional transition before this podcast interview. But you 
take a few moments. It doesn't have to be long, maybe two minutes to slow down, take a couple of deep breaths, consider the event or the session that you're about to have, and think about what kind of person and what kind of mindset will be required for you to be the most successful you can be. And specifically for poker, I tell myself today I'm about to play poker and my goal is not to win. My goal today is to pay attention and to learn. So that totally reframes how I would usually go in because I think without that, many of us have the habit of being like, I just want to win today. And then all of a sudden you lose a pot and you're like, wait, but I just wanted to win. Like now I'm not winning. Then, then you start to like fight against this unconscious goal that you had. That is totally irrational because as we know, you know, many of our sessions are going to end in losses and that is inevitable and supposed to happen. So, so if I go into a session, I'm like, my goal is strictly to pay attention and to learn, then no matter what happens, I can come back to that. I lose a pot, I win a pot. Am I paying attention? And am I learning something? And that way, my mistakes are easily reframed into, okay, well, if that was something that I should have known, where did I go wrong in my thought process? What question did I not ask on the flop? Did I not did I range my opponent in a way that I it was an, inaccurate because of something or, and what was that reason? And then the other thing is like who and what kind of be, ways of being is going to be required for me to be successful. And so I'm like, my goal is not to win, but my goal is to pay attention and learn who I will be in the session is courageous and focused or whatever it is. And another thing that I hear a lot from poker players is they have a hard time letting go of sessions. And I think that's very common. I know it was for Andrew and I, and we saw it with each other all the time. And so you can do intentional transitions before you go home. When you're in your car, before you walk in the house, you want to let go of that session. So you take a couple minutes and you think to yourself, you know, my family's inside, my wife, my husband, my children, take a couple of deep breaths. Like, who do I want to be? What does it, what's going to be required of me to make, um, you know, the best use of my time. You know, my goal is to connect. My goal is to listen. And what that requires of me is full presence is patience. And this is especially important if the whole, like whatever the next situation you're going to have is either scary for you, or if your relationship is like, you know, not going super great, especially important to get grounded. And even for this interview, I was thinking like my, you know, my goal is to bring value to the audience. You know, my goal is to talk about poker and life in a way and I, and to connect with Brad. And as long as I do that or, or do my best doing that, it's fine because otherwise my subconscious will be like, just look cool or something, you know, <laughs> and like, and then if I say something dumb, then I'll spin about it or whatever. But I got it like, you know, my thing is 
it's like your goal is not to look cool. Your goal is to just try to bring value and connect with Brad. So, so that has been the number one thing that's helped me and be successful and, and create deep relationships and love playing poker as well. That is beautiful and a greatness bomb. And yeah, that's just amazing, amazing value to the listener and to me, because I'm sitting here thinking like, hmm, you know, I have a, my ritual is to goal set and I have a journal that is like always within arm's reach of me. Like right here, I physically write down my goals for the next day before I go to bed. And then I wake up and I've got a structured plan. I know what I'm going to be doing. And I've learned through experience, maybe a little bit of hubris <laughs> that if I don't write them down, if I ever get a little too arrogant and I'm like, I know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I'm not going to write that shit down. I wake up and I'm just like walking around my house going like, what do I do? Like reading seems cool. Like surfing the internet might be a thing. Like when I don't have a plan, I spiral out of control and I've just, I know this about myself. And so this is intentionally having a plan before you go on an endeavor so that, you know, it's structured, you know, what you're there for, you know, what your intention is. And that is amazingly, amazingly, amazingly powerful, you know, not just in my anecdotal sense of the, my daily goal setting, but like before events, like I, I love that. That's really, really, really incredible information. Yeah. And really quick, you bring up a great point because in your intentional transition before a poker session, you can also add a focus of where you want to improve. And that is a way that you can literally improve every single session you play, which is just saying to yourself, today, I'm just going to focus on preflop. You know, I'm going to write down my preflop spots that I am like, you know, are sticky that I wasn't really sure about. I'm just going to really think about preflop or, th or three betting or whatever it is. Um, so, cause that's good because, um, yeah, it's so easy to just flail around. And like, if you're, if you have too many things that you want to improve at the same time or too many things in your to-do list, it ends up being, uh, so unfocused. Or if you don't do it at all, I do the same thing. I'm just like, what am I? Where, where did the time go? Did I just literally spend four hours on the internet and have like 20 <laughs> browsers open? Yeah. yeah. You, you have like your email up on your computer and you're on your phone checking your email at the same time. Like things just have a way of just yeah. spiraling totally out of control. And yeah, I mean, be intentional. And I guess that's the thing that like as a professional, see, this is, this is the deal, right? Like when you're able to kind of take a step back, like as a professional poker player, my goals have really just always been to make good decisions in every session. And that's sort of, I show up and I don't have a monetary, anytime I've set a monetary goal, I've gotten my teeth kicked in. It's any monetary goal has gone horribly, horribly wrong. So like just showing up and doing the best that I can and making good decisions has really, you know, been my goal for over a decade. And that naturally has served me well, but I could certainly see people who have different goals that don't really understand all the things that are going on, just getting wrecked emotionally by quantifying the value of each session solely on whether they win or lose. Like that is a, that's a recipe for really just an emotional roller coaster that ends in a disaster when, you know, four sessions don't go your way. Totally. And 
I have like the worst example of this. And it was like, I don't know why, I, I mean, how I really learned this lesson is in 2018, I was like, oh, I'm going to make a poker vlog because I was, I knew I was going to play all summer. So I was like, my, and I had just read the book, The One Thing. And what they tell you to do is set your goal really, really high because when you do that, the steps you take are so much bigger than if you had set like a smaller, non-stretchy goal. And so at the beginning of the year, I was like, I want to win a poker. I want to win a WSOP bracelet. And I am going to give myself, you know, my whole life to do that. But like this summer, I was going to like launch this vlog. And at first it really worked. I was working really hard. I was studying a ton of tournament stuff. And then I made a final, I made the bicycle WSOPC bike final table. And it was great. I was going to the summer and I was like, woo. Uh, and then when I started the summer, I like cashed my first tournament. And then at the first sign of adversity, when I like bricked a couple and I had made some mistakes, I totally lost focus because I was like, I need to like, are people are going to think that I'm so delusional that I could win a bracelet. Do you know how many so good pros haven't even won a bracelet yet? And I started like spiraling and it turned out to torpedo my summer because I was stressed about, you know, all of these things, people watching me. And then my experience of the whole thing was pretty awful. I was like, I never want to do that again and all these things. Um, so I totally, so I just want to say, I'm not speaking from like a high horse or anything. I just like, I know the pain of, uh, of that. And not that I think that wanting to win a world series of poker bracelet is a bad goal. If you can actually get your brain to say in your lifetime <laughs> or something, you know, but I was like trying to do it and this is like crazy, but anyway, yeah, I mean, you, it's once you have adversity, your your mind is like, oh, this this probably isn't going to happen, and then you start piling on all these doubts on top of it, and then you start losing focus. You start punting because I think you know subconsciously it's like, yeah, I want to give myself an out. I didn't play well, and that's why it didn't happen. And you know, all all these all these specific things, and like that goal of a bracelet in the summer, you know, it's it's not a thing that you're directly in control of, right? Like you're not in control over whether or not you win a bracelet over the course of a summer. Um, and, and I think that like, that's going back to the monetary goals. It's not in your control. Like the monetary goals are not in your control. What's in your control is just making good decision after good decision. And so when you have these expectations and then you realize like, Oh, I'm falling short, I, at least in my experience, that's when the wheels come off. That's when you stop playing poker for like a week or two and you start, you get in this funk yeah. of depression and spiral downward. And yeah, like I said, anytime I've set any sort of monetary goal, it has gone horribly, horribly wrong. And so now I just know better than, than to even do such a thing just because it, it just doesn't end well and, you know, control the controllables as they say. Right. And I always encourage people to figure out how to have a healthy relationship with results because while setting a monetary goal may or may not you know be the way to do it it is still important to be able to see results over time 
and do something with that. Because a lot of times people will just be like, well, I don't need a monetary goal. I just want to make good decisions. And then they don't even keep track of their sessions. And I think that's like pretty, you know, that's, that's terrible. Like you need, you need data, but you need to have a healthy relationship with it. You need to understand how much is a good sample size and look at the feedback. Don't look at the feedback to like get down on yourself and beat yourself up, but look at it as just feedback is it's just data for you to say that this may or may not be working or for you to see when or how long your sessions are before you start, you know, losing or whatever it is, but a healthy relationship is necessary. And if your goal is to make the best decisions that you can, and you're not actively analyzing your decision-making process to find where it's going awry, that's a pretty clear mistake, right? Like that's not being uh, true to the goal that you're setting because you know, if, you're, if your goal is to make the best decisions that you can, you ought to be challenging all the decisions that you make to see if they actually are the best decision. It's, it's not enough to just say, oh, I'm going to make the best decisions that I can and then just believe that all your decisions are the best that they could be. You have to actively engage, study, learn, grow so that you can be better from session to session. Absolutely. So, John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct? Yeah, so I got the basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening, and yesterday I played a session of uh, 1KNL on Ignition and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donks flop turn river into me, and I ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide, but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead and the course is $99. So <laughs> definitely paid for itself very, very quickly. And I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 No Limit. Like I think this is a course that will very, very quickly pay for itself given how how much more donking there is at lower stakes. And I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the Greatness Village Slack group is what do donks mean? How do I deal with donk bets? I, I think that's gotta be like in the top three most frequently asked questions you you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen you said like you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all the info yourself i feel like you brad will have to be there because i am i'm almost sure sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and we'll have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because it's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is if you'd like to check out neutralize flop leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single race pot head to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E. And now, back to the show. I love having you on. Um, I have a whole bunch of questions that are just sort of sitting to the side, and I don't think any of them are going to elicit answers that are better than what we've covered thus far, but we'll give it a go. I guess the first question that I have on my on the slate is who is your biggest influence in becoming a professional poker player and why? 
I mean, I wish I could come up with a, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just Andrew. Our first date when I was 19 and he was 22, 16 years ago was to an underground poker game in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And he was definitely trying to show off because he bluffed this kid in glasses and a button up shirt with a pen in his pocket, like three times and showed and like shot me a wink every time. And I was like, <laughs> he was the first professional poker player I'd ever met. Like I was in college playing soccer. And when we left that night, I was like, how did you know that that kid was going to fold every time? And, and he told me that it was because he knew that that kid was scared money. And that night he told me his favorite quote, which he has repeated over the last 16 years, which is base, which is fortune favors the bold. And <laughs> something that is, I think I find fascinating also, by the way, is that I think that we all in some ways know like deep down what our dreams are. And for like the moment I knew a professional poker player was a thing, I wanted to be that, but I didn't think that I could. I also had a mother who was against gambling and all for traditional jobs. And I had gone to college and gotten a degree, but when you're afraid of pursuing your dream job, often people will pursue a shadow job. This is something that uh, uh, is talked about in the war of art. If people are creatives, you should definitely read that, but they pursue shadow careers. So my shadow career was a poker reporter. It's close, but not as risky. You don't have to fail at the thing you actually want to do. And eventually watching Andrew go through what he went through and and after uh, we actually had that big blow up in our marriage and I learned what role risk needed to play in my life, I finally was able to quit my job as a reporter and pursue poker. And from the moment we met, Andrew has always been the lead. You know, Johnny Vibes is my brother-in-law and, and he came along to Vegas after we'd moved there from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And both of us, I think, have looked to Andrew to really lead the way and go through the hard shit so that we could learn from his mistakes before we had to. So for sure, he's the biggest influence. And and still to this day, I mean, he coaches players and, and stakes players and has had a staking business. And he's always leading the way for people to become their like their best poker players. So he's definitely it. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, and it's it's funny, you know, the fortune favors the bold, right? And making those bluffs, showing them to his date in the under, underground poker game. And I just think that one thing that happens when you're young and then you get older is you realize that over time, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago, like I think back to the person I was 10 years ago, I don't recognize that human being. It's a different human being. And when you're with someone for that long, you know, you change and you realize that like, I'm a different person than I started out 15 years ago. They're a different person than they were 15 years ago. And in sort of making sense of those changes. And I, I think that like, that's just a, the natural human progression as we get older and learn and mature. And, you know, I think it's awesome that 
Andrew specifically is now playing 2550 and has, you know, embraced fortune favors the bold as it relates to moving up stakes and taking shots and earning a higher hourly rate and pushing himself to be the best version of himself that he can be. Because again, that's bold. That's courageous, really finding what you're made of in the world. Because ultimately at the end of the day, I've been, maybe I'm getting older thinking about mortality, but I, I just, at the end of the day, I don't want to be on my deathbed wondering what I could have done or wondering why didn't I aim higher? Why didn't I try to do something really amazing like really really great and push myself and even if you fall short you fall short but you know it's the journey right like this moment christy that like you and i are having together right now you know you're anxious about your book and getting it published and finding an agent and all of these things like i think that our minds tell us I just want to see the end. I want I want the pot of gold. I want it to be over. I want it to just get the rewards. But really the the fruit, the thing that makes everything so magical is the moment of anxiousness before our dreams are realized while we're on the journey, right? I think we often undervalue the journey just in general. We want to skip to the end. But um, yeah, it's it's exciting doing new things. It's exciting not knowing the results of what's going to happen in the same way that, you know, making a decision in poker is exciting because you don't know what the Turner River is going to bring, right? And that could change everything. So just kind of framing life in that way has been, it's been super beneficial for me specifically of like, enjoy the present moment when you don't know, you don't have the answers. And I think that ultimately at the end of the day, when I look back on my life, those moments will be the ones that I value ultimately the most, that were the most fun and exciting and kind of scary, really. Yeah, I got kind of emotional hearing you talk, and it's such a good reminder, one that I think that I really needed. So thank you. And that's why I think that we, whether people think they are or not, we are all gamblers. We're all pursuing the things that we desire without knowing the final outcome. Sometimes odds are in our favor. Sometimes they're not, or sometimes it's somewhere in between and we have no idea. But when you're young, gambling on life and love is much easier because there's so much less at stake. You have, you, you think to yourself, you have all the time in the world. If you go broke or break up or whatever, you just start over. And then when you get older, you're like so much time has passed already. And in terms of relationships, you've invested so much time and energy. Maybe you've collected things together. All of a sudden the stakes get raised. And even in terms of a poker career, maybe when you're younger, going for it is easier because you you can just go broke and it's fine. It's no big deal. Like you just build back up again. You're made of rubber. Once you reach, <laughs> yeah. Once you reach a certain level of success though, and then you also have a reputation people see you playing a certain stake, then all of a sudden the stakes are much higher and it's harder to risk because, or take those gambles or whatever, because, you know, you've put all this on top of it. You're like, do I, what if I have to start over, like, you know, drop two stakes or what if people see me having to play like the smaller stakes? And so just recognizing, like you said, we become different people. The stakes are changed. That doesn't mean 
it it doesn't necessarily mean you should just go wiling out and like risking all the time or whatever, but it does mean you have to consider different things in your life, especially when you have a family or whatever it is. But, uh, but, but what you reminded me that was so nice to remember or to, you know, hear again is like, it's so true that the things that require the most amount of work that have the most amount of uncertainty that you chase. And the reason they have the most uncertainty is because, you know, that level of that barrier of entry or whatever it is, because you're doing something great, you're trying to be the greatest poker player you can be or contribute something to the world that is really, really great. That really the payoff comes because of the uncertainty. And I'm definitely feeling that right now. I don't remember when we did the last podcast, but it was a while ago. And I have been working on one book proposal for a very long time, an embarrassing amount, but because my goal is to be a New York Times bestseller and it's set very high and I've never written a book before, I had to grow myself into the kind of writer that is the caliber of a New York Times bestseller. And so it takes time, you know, and like, that's okay. So yeah, thank you for that reminder. Uh, you're very welcome. And yeah, a year, five years, even 10 years is not that long of time, like in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, you're, you're welcome. It's, it's just something that I think about a ton is like, you know, when I was 20, when I was 19 years old, my dream was to be a professional poker player and I couldn't wait for that to happen. And then when I became a professional poker player, my dream was to make a ton of money and I couldn't wait for that to happen. And like, at, at each inflection point about what my dream is, I always can't wait for it to happen. And I always find myself kind of skipping the present and trying to like live in the future and being like, well, if I just finish this race, then I'll be finally happy, fulfilled and excited. And I'm just realizing that like, you know, there's a, a famous commencement speech by David Foster Wallace called This is Water. And if, if for the listener, if you haven't listened to it, I highly suggest you go listen to it. But Basically, you know, oh man, now, now I'm going to have to say that what it, the commencement speech, um, I forget the little anecdotal story in the beginning. Basically, there's two fish and there's two fish and one of them's laid and it zooms up to another fish and the one fish asks the other fish, hey, how's the water treating you today? And the other fish says, what's water, right? Like it's so so in it that he doesn't even see or realize that there's water around us. And like, that's our lives. That's us just living our lives. Like this is water, this moment that you and I are having right now, this is water. And yeah, it's it's just, it's a lesson that I've had to learn myself because I feel like, you know, I, I wasn't grateful enough in the past when trying to achieve my dreams. And that, that's sort of like, a regret that I have and something that I want to do better in the present moment and moving forward. And yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree. One of my mantras all the time is whenever I tr- is one slow down. Cause I'm always in a hurry trying to like get to like the thing, the payoff or whatever. I always have to tell myself, this is it. What's in front of me is life right now. And it reminds me that like, this is all there is whatever's in, in, in front of me. 
yeah, you're getting a puppy later today. Like to be that feeling of anxiousness before you get a puppy, right? Like that's, that's a great feeling. Like you're going to get the puppy and then things are not going to be changing. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, yes. And I'm going to have to remember that, how, that too, like how excited I was when the puppy, when the puppy like pees and shits all over my house and be like, <laughs> this is it, you know, this is, this is what I said, you know, because it, it's like, it's, yeah, I, but I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I, I believe you. We have four cats, and yeah, it's we, wait. it feels like a lot of cats. I don't know if four cats is too many cats, but we love them. <laughs> we love them very much, even when they meow <laughs> in the middle of a podcast interview. And Christy, so this has really been an amazing conversation, a, an amazing interaction, as always, and would it be okay if, you know, I ask a couple more questions, we wrap up and then maybe do a round three where we legitimately, I legitimately ask you the questions that I have, <laughs> have prepared here. Oh, of course. And I'm so sorry. This was probably my fault. Sometimes I just get going on things. It's me. It's both. I don't know. I'm, we both take responsibility. So. I can't, I can't control my curiosity. Like once something is dangled in front of me that I'm curious about, that I need to know more, it just, that's the tangent that, that we go down. So I take full responsibility as the facilitator of the conversation. Okay. Ask away. Martin Jacobson. He's awesome. So I'm excited to hear that one. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it, it, it's going to be a good one. Have you ever strongly believed something about poker only to reverse course later on? And if so, what led to that change of belief? One of my beliefs was that that the people who played high stakes were somehow a different breed of human that I or anyone couldn't reach it. Um, but what I discovered over on unpacking all the like who I think I am and and how I saw poker and how I was afraid of things uh, and really got down to the nitty gritty. They're not different humans. They worked harder. They perhaps had different advantages in terms of their natural ability to analyze things, to not be overcome with emotion. But they are not different. They have the same 24 hours in a day. And with practice or honing skills, it's possible. Absolutely. And that sort of ties into a thing that I used to strongly believe, again, early on when I was younger and very dumb. Like For a long time, I thought that I was able to beat poker because there was something special about me, right? That like it wasn't a transferable skill. And that led to a lot of arrogance on my end. And, you know, my identity obviously gets wrapped up into having, being an expert at poker. And I think that what I've learned over time is that I wasn't that special. And that this is a thing that people can learn if they really devote themselves to it. And like you said, high stakes players are not a different breed of human. They all have emotions. They all struggle to deal and work their way through their emotions. They all have their confidence shattered at various moments in their poker careers, and they have to learn how to be resilient and over overcome um, those confidence-shattering moments. 
And yeah, we're, we're just all in this together. We're all struggling together. And I, I think the built-in advantages for some people is just upbringing, how they were raised, the lack of risk aversion, the relationship with money specifically. I think that all of those things are kind of built-in advantages as it relates to playing high high stakes. But again, I think those are things that through mindset, learning about yourself, that you can overcome those things as well. And it's just a matter of it's just a matter of putting in the work and being honest with yourself and trying to grow and become the person that is able to compete at the highest levels of poker. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um all right, what what's a project you're working? Actually, I know the answer to this, but you you can <laughs> you can tell me tell the listener a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart. Well, other than the book, I have launched a second YouTube channel. My Poker One has been dormant for a while, but my new YouTube channel is is focused on telling stories about risk and love. So there will be some poker parallels, but mostly it's a storytelling video essay docu kind of style uh, vlog sort of. And um, you can find it just by, by YouTube searching Christy Arnett Moreno. Why did you start that channel? I started it because I am obsessed with storytelling and risk and my book is based on those two things and video editing and shooting. It's my other passion. Um, and so I started it both because I love the creative outlet, but also because I want to build an audience in that realm so that, you know, people that like, you know, will read the book when it comes out and, one of the latest videos that I did, the latest video that I did documented the journey of Andrew, who had in 2019 gone through the biggest downswing of his career, six-figure downswing that lasted for a year. And then when the pandemic happened, talking about Fortune Favors the Bold, he focused on learning how to play online, which is a whole different beast in itself. And he did so well and he came out of his downswing and crushed but still he was feeling the residual effects almost like PTSD with stress and anxiety because of the downswing and so one of the things that he did to treat it was try mushroom therapy so my last video documents that journey and it's one of my favorite videos and has gotten a very humbling response and so if that's something that you guys are in interested in too it's like one of the things that parallels with poker i'm in um anything about psychedelics the mind mushrooms is very very interesting to me and compelling and i think that yeah that that's an area that i'm also passionate about exploring because i think that it's just an amazing thing that's kind of been demonized for decades and unfairly demonized quite frankly but yeah i don't i don't know about the listener but i certainly want to check that out because yeah again it's a high interest for me. Um, and the final question, Christy, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness find you on the World Wide Web? Well, I'm 
always having an existential crisis. So uh, <laughs> I'm currently restructuring my own relationship with social media and how it will fit in my life in a way that is empowering and inspiring to me. So currently the only place I'm really active right now is Instagram and YouTube. You can search and find me by Christy A. Moreno on Instagram and Christy Arnett Moreno on YouTube. And I also still have a website, christyarnett.com. And I would love to connect with any of you in any of those ways. So thank you so much. Awesome, Christy. And I think that's a very smart move, uh, redefining your relationship with social media, because it's, it's another thing where, yeah, it just, it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy and oftentimes leaves you not feeling so good when you close whatever platform it was that you were perusing. So I'm, I'm down with the existential social media, um, crisis because (laughs) I, I have my own all the time. Because you could do all, there's so many and it's hard to be good at them. And you're like, which one, but ask yourself, which one feeds your soul? That's what I'm asking myself right now. Yeah. Which one makes your spirit sing, right? Like which one resonates with your consciousness, your spirit gets you excited to post a video and which one do you dread doing it or do it just because you feel like you have to, um, the ones where you have to, you can cut that shit out. Right. Um, Christy, it's great having you on. We'll schedule, around three straight away. Thank you very much for your time. Enjoy getting your puppy today. I'm very excited for you and we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much, Brad. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.